My name is Saad Idris and I'm the co-founder of Daftakhan. For five years, Daftakhan has been building a co-working community of entrepreneurs and professionals working on some of the most exciting business ideas in Pakistan. This community has now grown to hundreds of people across multiple cities and aims to empower businesses across the board in their journey to growth and scale. Through these podcasts, we aim to learn from founders and professionals and their incredible journeys to help bring out our best work. You're listening to What We Learned, a podcast by Daftafan. You know, it's always the leader who's recognized and never the team. But the team is what makes the leader look good. That is Jahanara. Jahan is the founder and CEO of Catalyst Labs. She has an extensive experience of over 28 years in marketing and interactive new media in the Far East, UAE, and Pakistan. She served as the president of the Pakistan Software House Association for over 17 years and in her leadership started their incubation center, the Nest IO, which has to date incubated more than 189 startups. Today we will talk to Jahan about her incredible journey from starting her career in the shipping industry to becoming a force that moves the tech industry in Pakistan. So Jahan, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, how are you doing? Hi, Saad. I'm fine. Thank you. And thank you for inviting me. Just for context, it's very important to kind of start from the top and kind of look at your journey so far. So when people think about Jahanara, they, they think about, you know, the work that you've done, I think, in the last uh, decade or so, right? But uh, you started off as a, as a communications professional uh, in Hong Kong, uh, of all places. So, um, you know, it, it, it's a very interesting story and I'd like you to kind of share it, that how did you get from, you know, comms professional in Hong Kong all the way around to landing into the beautiful tech scene in Pakistan? Uh, and, and like, how did that journey come about? So, uh, Saad, yeah, thanks for bringing that up. And so I consider Karachi my home because this is where I was born and now have spent many years but I also consider Hong Kong my home. So I'm very lucky to have two homes. I grew up in Hong Kong and most of my education was there. And so my first job there was actually as a writer for about a year and communications, marketing, uh, you know, relationship building was what drove me. I wanted to learn, I wanted to implement, I wanted to do things that needed to be done. And so I joined, uh, First, I started, actually, I had the opportunity to start a newsletter for a shipping company, and I knew nothing about shipping. Uh, But the gentleman who was the managing director of the company met me at a reception and asked me what I was doing. And I said, well, I'm here after doing my undergrad in Pakistan from St. Joseph's College in Karachi, and I'm going to go back and do my MBA from the Institute of Business Administration. And he said, oh, you know, all this academic doesn't help you. Uh, You know, why don't you come and join me? I want to do something interesting. And I think you're just the right person for it. So he invited me to his office. The next morning I went 
And he said, what are you passionate about? I said, well, writing, communications, those are things that drive me. He was running a company with, you know, which had offices all around the world, which was managing about 100 ships, all cargo ships, except for one passenger vessel, which was called Sinbad. <laughs> Okay. surprisingly and that was in hong kong uh, in victoria harbor and um, he said you know i feel that there's something missing because i have so many people who work for me on those ships and in those offices who are totally disconnected i want to connect them so i want to start a magazine which should come out monthly that will connect all these people and make it a vehicle through which they communicate with each other so you know, my first reaction was, well, I don't know anything about shipping. How can I, you know, he wanted me to produce this magazine and edit it and, and you know, spread it all around uh, his his organization. So he said, you know, you're smart, you learn. <laughs> now, those kind of employers you don't find very often, as you well know. Yeah. I yeah. said, okay. And, you know, it sounded, it intrigued me. So he put me in the fleet personnel department and he said, okay, get started. So... Um, I didn't know what to do. And naturally, all the male staff who were there, the male managers, didn't know what to make of me because they knew I wasn't from the, the shipping industry. They didn't understand what I was doing there. And so there was this initial resistance from them, uh, thinking that perhaps because I was a banker's daughter, this position had been created for me. Uh, nothing further from the truth because my father didn't yeah. believe in doing that. <laughs> so... What I did was I started reading all the files of each of the personnel. So there were about 30, 35 people on each of the ships who were doing different things. So from the captain to the chief engineer, the purser, cadets, all of them. I started reading the files and there were so many stories that existed on those files. You know, fights that had yeah. taken place on the ship, ships that had been you know, sort of blocked off at harbors that they went to because they didn't have the right licensing. There was a ship that caught fire and, you know, so all wow. of those things. And so I started to get a feel for what happened on ships. Then I found that there were some magazines, publications that existed in the office. So I started reading them. I started writing to the publishers of those magazines to ask if I could reproduce some of those, the material that uh, was part of those magazines, mainly on safety and things like that. I got permission. So I started using those articles and... Voila, within three months, I had the first issue of the magazine. And uh, so I ran that for about three and a half years. And it was a fun three and a half years. Learned a lot, uh, created a lot of relationships, traveled a lot, went and visited a lot of ships. Um, it was great. So that was my first sort of real job, as opposed to just writing for uh, one of the newspapers in Hong Kong. And that's where the communication part started. I mean, I'm sure you could like churn out screenplays from the types of stories that you probably heard about in those personnel files. I mean, that's what yeah, yeah. Hollywood movies <laughs> are made of. So, so, so what happened then? So you you were with these like, but shipping industry. Like, I want to get get into this as well. Like, you know, if today someone says, you know, there's this job at the shipping company, I'd be like, bro, like I don't know anything about shipping, and like you know, that too being like a fresh graduate in in a you know new territory. Uh, cultural standpoint, say. that must have been super exciting. But like what what happened after that? So after that, my my father actually moved to um, to the UAE to Abu Dhabi, 
and so i switched and there wasn't much you know in those days i'm talking about the early 80s uh, the uae wasn't a place which the kind of place it is now and there were very few opportunities especially for women you know women were not supposed to be professionals and not supposed to be the core of most companies so i went and joined i went and tried to uh, join newspapers that existed there at the time the same newspapers that exist there now the the gulf news the the khalij times and there were no opportunities available there full time so i started writing i started writing for gulf news um, but they offered me a job in their marketing department so i joined that and um, continued to write for the newspaper as a freelancer and that was that was amazing because uh, you know that's where i learned how to sell advertising space and you know how to get to know the city because abu dhabi was small and we competed gulf news competed very heavily with the khalij times which was the main player in, in the city and yet the kind of advertising we were able to get the kind of supplements we were able to push out were you know much better than the khalij times simply because we got there first we sold us we told our story first and the advertisers were small and so they only had enough money to advertise in one publication so we right. we gave uh, we gave the khalij times a run for their money and it was really it was exciting stuff i i found that i had a flair for selling which i didn't know i had until i had tried it um so that's what i did in in abu dhabi and dubai for the next 5 years but i also sold insurance for about a year <laughs> i joined american life <laughs> yeah i joined american life insurance and there i learned from a gentleman called leroy shuffler he uh -huh. he taught us how to sell and how to motivate ourselves at the end of each day because he said selling insurance was a game of numbers so if you sold uh, if you went and saw 10 to 12 people a day maybe you could make one sale but then at the end of the day you were so depressed that you probably wouldn't be able to get up in the morning to try and do this again so at the end of each day he would you know motivate us and the next day we would start again so i did that for about a year i was quite good at it but only as far as the education policies were concerned because i explained uh, yeah i explained to people that you know if anything god forbid happened they wanted to ensure the education of their kids and so if they bought education policies those would guarantee uh, the education of their young children to right. up to the time that they were in university so i think that sold very well there was 40% commission on each policy so i made quite a bit of money not bad <laughs> <laughs> but that, that that's also actually pretty interesting because like i think like hasorpe in growing companies or growing startups uh one thing that that founders really have to very quickly adapt to is the fact that their one of their roles as you know whatever founder or ceo is like the chief um, cheerleading officer as well okay, like it's so much so much about keeping your people driven motivated and and engaged uh okay that Uh, that's a very interesting insight and i think like sales selling insurance ke baad to i think sales would have been a breeze for you anyway yeah selling insurance was tough because you know you you had to tell people that they were mortals and that anything could happen at any time and that's, that's not a very nice thing to do to people but yeah. <laughs> i convinced myself that because it was education policies and i was guaranteeing the uh you know the future of their children that it was actually a good thing i was doing i can talk myself into anything if i put my mind to it 
Sure. Yeah, yeah. And it was true because uh, there were a couple of people I knew who didn't save any money at all. So by by buying uh, education insurance, they actually ended up, uh, you know, insuring the future of their children. So yeah, it was was a good. I couldn't sell. I couldn't sell uh, life insurance at all because that I wouldn't be able to do. Tell people, you know, you'll die, and so your family will get money. That would be so morbid. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's a little that's a little evil. But again, you know. Whatever. I guess that's a that's a skill that you also have to kind of acquire at some point. Like yeah. uh, then you you move back to um, to Hong Kong or to back to Pakistan. Uh, so I moved back to Hong Kong. Uh, my father uh, kept sort of going from one place to the other, and when I moved back to Hong Kong, I started looking for work again because you know you there's nothing uh, that I could do uh, if I didn't get a job. So I went into this um, office of a media company and I heard this guy screaming at his personal assistant and I had gone for an interview. So I didn't feel very comfortable anyway. Uh, by the time it, it was time for me to give my, uh, give my interview, I was feeling a little disturbed. I liked the guy. He recognized me because when I was with the shipping company, he used to come and try and sell advertising space to me. So he, he said immediately, he said, I know you. I said, yeah, I think we've met. And he said, well, you know, if you're half as good at selling advertising space as you were at trying to get rid of me every time I came there to tell try and sell you Lloyd's List, then you're just the right person for the job. And he offered me the job right away. And I said, hold on, you know, just wait. I need to think this through. First, tell me a little bit about all the publications you represent. I want to understand what it is I'm getting myself into. I discovered that he represented some of the best publications in the world and that it would be interesting. But I told him to give me time to think about it. But at the same time, I made one thing clear to him. And I said to him that, listen, when I walked in, I heard you screaming at this um, personal assistant that you have. If I decide to take this job and work for you, the day you raise your voice at me is the day that I walk out. So a uh, nice guy <laughs> that he was, he said, are you laying down the law? I said, yes, because, you know, my self-respect means more to me than anything else. I will work hard, but because this is a new industry for me, I will make mistakes. You just need to tell me that I've made a mistake and correct me when I'm wrong. But don't raise your voice because that, you know, that doesn't work for somebody like me. So he said, fine, you know, agreed. He was a British guy. He and I are still friends. And I did end up working for him. I worked for him for nine years. Hmm. He gave me 40% equity in his company by the time I left. And I more or less ran the show in the entire region out of Hong Kong, you know, Thailand, Malaysia, Singapore, Indonesia, Australia. And uh, so, you know, worked with all our regional offices, um, he traveled a lot and he trusted me so much that he left most of it to me. And we're still yeah. friends. <laughs> wow. Okay. So, yeah. so uh, Ligan, ye jo, uh, the way that you're kind of moving through different industries and sectors, was that also like, was there any intentionality to it? Or then, uh, you know, fate was having its way or was it a coincidental thought? So, 
नो इट वॉज इन प्लान मतलब मुझे भी ये मालूम था कि आई वॉन्टेड टू आई वॉन्टेड टू बी पार्ट ऑफ कम्युनिकेशन एंड मार्केटिंग एंड राइटिंग बिकॉज दोज वर दिंग्स दैट इंटरेस्टेड मी इट डेंट रियली मैटर विच इंडस्ट्री दे वर एसोसिएटेड विद एज लॉन्ग एज आई गॉट टू डू द थिंग्स दैट आई फेल्ट पैशनेट अबाउट एंड दैट्स वाई आई ट्राई टू अंडरस्टैंड वेन आई वेन एवर आई वेंट इन फॉर एन इंटरव्यू आई ट्राई टू अंडरस्टैंड वॉट द जॉब वॉज अबाउट वुड आई बी एबल टू डू माई बेस्ट एट वॉट was required of me it's only when i believed in it that i could sell you know selling is also an art but if you are a, you know if you're a sincere person if you're a person of integrity you cannot sell something you don't believe in yourself so yeah, that was yeah. important for me to understand that what i was selling actually meant something and that it was the right thing so if you told me to sell drugs i couldn't do it <laughs> you right. know so, right. so so basically it wasn't intentional but it was um you know trying to understand the kind of industry the kind of company and the kind of people and i think i was lucky in all of those areas because i've always worked with people whom i've remained in contact with whom i still respect who gave me opportunities that i wouldn't have had otherwise as you said i was fresh out of college no experience one after the other i got opportunities that many people don't have these days and that is the kind of thing i try and do for others now because as you may see most of the people i hire are very young i just need to see a spark in them i need to see some commitment and i need to see the ability they don't have to have 10 years of experience for me to employ them sure yeah makes a lot of sense lekin so then you were focused entirely on on the skill part of it at least at that point in time you know being that young in 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 your career as well obviously और उसकी उसकी एप्लीकेशन एंड यू राइट मतलब यू नो इफ यू लुक एट इट इफ यू इफ यू लुकिंग एट कम्युनिकेशन सो फंडामेंटली यू नो दैट्स एन इम्पेरेटिव फॉर एनी गुड सेल्स और मार्केटिंग रोल इज वेल एंड एनी गुड लीडरशिप रोल इज वेल सो दैट मेक्स अ लॉर सेंस तो उसके बाद एंड देन द ट्रांजेक्शन फ्रॉम देयर टू द ब्यूटिफुल सॉफ्टवेयर एंड टेक्नोलॉजी सीन इन पाकिस्तान हाउ डिज दैट हैपन वेल आई डिट थिंक दैट वॉज अ ट्रांजेक्शन इन टू टेक I just knew that my parents my father had retired and my parents were moving back to Pakistan and my siblings are spread all over the world sure and but I knew that one of us should come back to be with them you know they had they had been the source of who we were they had educated us made sure that we had opportunities that we were passionate about now was the time when they were getting old and they were coming back and they shouldn't be left alone so i said this and i can work anywhere so i'll go back with them i volunteered i came back to pakistan and i have never regretted it you know a lot of people complain about pakistan they talk about uh, how you know there are so many challenges but i see pakistan as a place for opportunities and this is where i came back to karachi joined of course the fact that i knew zahir alam kitwai who had been the captain on one of the ships that uh, were part of the company that i worked with and eventually became a friend and mentor as well as uh, somebody i looked to as a brother uh, i came and joined him and we started enabling technologies which was very soon after joined by Sabine Mahmood who had graduated from Kanade College and joined us right. we were a small team of four people and uh, Zahir's wife Nuzat also joined us and we did some amazing things as part of enabling technologies together 
all very very creative all very um, all things that had never been done before and mm. i enjoyed it because it was all learning and it was all um, you know things that made a difference made an impact now at that time we were representing macromedia so macromedia were the publishers of authorware director flash yep. and then they went on to uh, have dreamweaver as part of their their uh, portfolio and since we were selling that as packages to companies across pakistan we were also educating companies marketing departments in large companies as to how to use these products and while we were doing that we figured out hey the best way to show them is to create something ourselves and that's when we started developing products so you will see in the early days of enabling technologies we built you know the very first product interactive product catalog for jafar gs we built mm -hmm. a touch screen kiosk application for ici uh, we built the faz ahmed faz multi uh, multimedia cd which sold all around the world and also in pakistan and while we were doing that we figured out that we were part of the tech sector because this was technology mm -hmm. we were using technology yeah. to develop products and so then i said to to zack that listen we should become part of pasha because pasha is the trade association that represents the tech sector and zack didn't have much patience for associations or <laughs> industries or whatever he said look i just want to do what i want to do you want to become a part of this you're the ceo you go and join this uh, association so i did i went and joined pasha uh, i think in the mid 90s and have never looked back since it was it was interesting in those days yet again i found myself in an industry which was predominantly men just like yep. it had been in the shipping company where i first started hmm. predominantly men so i had to prove myself i had to uh, put up with uh, certain things which you know um, which happen when you are in a minority in any sort of uh, whether yep. it's in an industry or in a country but you know yeah. uh, i managed i enjoyed myself i did a lot of great work met a lot of uh, amazing people and i haven't regretted it hmm. how did you manage and that that's also something that i wanted to kind of speak to you about kyunki uh, you know we were we were talking about this earlier as well and obviously kafi sari cheeze hoti hain khaas taur pe in the earlier part of um, of your career uh that you know but the later on when you look back so you attribute that to how you were schooled and you know the kind of uh, upbringing that you had the kind of exposure that you had through your family through your friends and through your socialization together as well so kafi sari cheeze hain jo ki embed ho jati hain into into the way that you think uh and they have a lot to do with the value system that you've been exposed to uh or wo aapke sath hai you know the the work ethic that you have for this um gentlemen in hang uh, in uh, hong kong to be able to kind of you know trust you so completely okay, like you know giving over equity and financial control of the company and you know not having to worry about uh, what's going to happen uh, and at such a young stage of your career as well and you know a growing stage for the company so is there any sari cheeze that that are kind of embedded like in sometimes later on you you move forward and then you look back and then you can dissect to to some extent ki acha you know um what can i attribute uh, this inner strength to uh, or this this kind of way of thinking to so ye like abhi tak so far um the the story as you kind of told us all of these 
uh, at least for you know someone like me, if I were to kind of imagine being in your shoes, all of these uh, situations are extremely daunting. You know, okay, like uh, shipping industry in Hong Kong again, fast city. Uh, you know, crazy sector. I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure it was 100% male-dominated management uh, as far as that business was concerned. Then going to the UAE back in the 80s. Um, you know, again, uh, I, I think like that's a clear departure from where the UAE is uh, is these days. And you know, issues were And then to land in the um, in the you know extremely um, quote unquote gender diverse technology scene, which is not gender diverse. But in in Pakistan. So how did you get into these situations? Like now looking back, did you have a did you ever have to kind of stop um, and hesitate and then overcome that hesitation? Was there like an inner, uh, you know, computation of, you know, I'm about to walk into another room or another industry or another country, uh, so we don't need anyone else to kind of come in and like, you know, or, or because we see these things like even today, it's 2021. But um, we see this happen in, in front of our eyes. People have such uh, issues with, uh, with uh, women in positions of authority um, and, you know, kind of calling the shots, making decisions. Like, you know, and, and it's very obvious and it's very, it's very strange. I can't even imagine how it was back then. So how did you, what was your inner calculus? How did you break that? glass ceiling and just break it over and over and over again in different sectors, different places. So let me answer this by telling you a few stories from the different organizations where I was. So when I joined the shipping company, as I said, there was quite a bit of resistance because uh, the male managers all felt that, you know, I had this job had been created for me. But to give them credit, once I had proven that I was actually doing what I was hired for, the amount of affection and respect they gave me and the amount of help I got from them was amazing. So I think, yes, it was difficult. You know, in the first few days, if I don't know if you've ever engaged with sailors or shipping industry people, I had never had. And so when they cracked jokes, they often forgot that I was in the room. And some of those jokes were very off color. Many of them I didn't understand because I had always been brought up in a very protected environment. My parents were very conservative. And so very often I didn't understand the joke and they would just look back at me and then say, oh, excuse me. But sometimes there were times when the joke was sort of targeted at me and there was no nastiness about it. But I would go home and I would cry and I would tell my mother I'm not going back tomorrow because, you know, these are really evil people. I don't know, you know, why they're cracking these jokes and they seem to be bad jokes, you know. I was very young, so naturally those things affected me. But, you know, my mother would talk to me and say, listen, I'm sure they didn't mean anything by it. Why don't you try a little longer? So instead of just leaving, I kept going back and those people accepted me. They also learned how to behave around me. I'm sure it was restricted for them as well because they couldn't be totally themselves when I was around. But they became very affectionate. I became sort of like the little sister that all of them had to protect. And that's why then the process of working in that company became much easier. 
Now, when I was with uh, the media company, Headway Media, uh, with Adrian, Adrian, you know, treated me with a lot of respect. He really liked the work I was doing. He trusted me with, you know, whether it was finances, with whether it was running the company, whether it was, you know, engaging with all customers from all around the world. And I'll tell you a story. Once when he was out of town, there was this gentleman from uh, a newspaper in Japan who came to visit us to see Adrian. And the secretary told him that, listen, Mr. Batten is not here, but you can meet Ms. Jahara, who is the managing director of the company. And the gentleman agreed to meet me. But once uh, he came into my room, we had a discussion. And I told him that, OK, where do I sign? He said, no, I don't, I don't do business with women. I will wait for Mr. Batten to come back and then we will discuss business. I just uh, had a conversation with you and that is fine. I understand what the company does and all of that. And then he left. When Adrian got back, I told him what had happened. And the gentleman called him again from Japan. And uh, Adrian said, if you cannot do business with Ms. Jahara, you cannot do business with this company. So I think putting the law down and saying, hey, this is what we believe. These are the values of this company. And if you can't work with us or can't work with different diverse people in this company, you can't work with us. That shows where Adrian came from and that spoke for where Headway Media stood. So I think I learned through all these engagements that this is how one ran a company. You showed respect and you gained respect. I still have respect for Adrian. We're still connected on Facebook. We are now personal friends and we, you know, we look out for each other whenever we can. We don't meet for years. And yet, you know, we know that we can talk about things that we're doing and we'd like to stay connected. Um, so, you know, I, I think those are lessons that I learned. And so it wasn't easy. Now in, in Pasha, in um, Pakistan, again, it was difficult because the room was full of men. I, whenever I was in a room, I was by myself and there were 100 men. But many of those men have become my friends over time. Yes, sometimes it was a struggle because when the, they got together, they talked about things that were not important to me. So whether it's golf now or whether it was jokes or whether it was you know i felt left out cut off and i would have to work very hard to stop the kind of conversations they were having and say hey let's talk about this whether it was industry initiatives whether it was things that they could include me in it wasn't easy i must admit but people were you know when when they know and when you make them aware of the fact that you're being left out they're very nice about it. And then they try and be inclusive. So I think that's what happened. It wasn't always easy, but I think I always found good people around me who made me feel comfortable and allowed me to do the things that I wanted to do. And within Pasha, I did a lot and it was never alone. It was always with a team of people, with a lot of young people who were volunteers or ambassadors for Pasha. And, you know, otherwise we would never have got many of those things done, whether it was the Pasha Startup Insiders program, whether it was the Pasha Launchpad program, or as you mentioned, the ICT award, you know, all of those things got done because there was a community of people, young people from universities who helped us to make it happen. 
there were partners and sponsors who believed in what we were doing so i think once people know that you you know that you are serious about what you're doing and that you have the capability to deliver i think you win them over it's not always easy and you need to show yeah. that you're much more confident than actually what you're feeling inside sometimes you're feeling yeah. really nervous and even now when you go on stage i think many speakers will tell you that every time they go on stage they're shivering on the inside right it's not easy yeah but yeah. you need yeah. to yeah. believe yeah. in yourself you need to believe in yourself you need to be continuously learning and then you will gain that confidence hmm. hmm. and you have to be right like wo jo ek initial i think that's the that's the step for the hesitation or the impression or the energy that you're putting out um that has to be managed or controlled somehow you can once you actually get in there and make a statement and you know kind of push back to so your you're absolutely right ke this space of respect starts to kind of form around you as well like oh, camaraderie and this whole you know um uh, this human element kind of kicks in as well but um i think you're absolutely right ke uh, you know luck also follows but then those types of people and those types of um you know kind of elements also find you you know like when when you're making that effort of uh, putting yourself out there and you know focusing on uh, moving forward and taking the whole collective forward i think those those types of people also seek you out uh, that that we like where this is going but That's um, interesting so uh, like you know so i'm sure now this is not even a consideration not even something that you probably have to think about um going into different conversations going into different meetings lekin uh, um is it is it just that like you know matlab in the in the highs and lows and of course you know as as we all know entrepreneurial lows are uh, you know really low so you have to kind of become your own therapist and kind of talk talk yourself out of different holes that you've dug for yourself so usme like was was there ever wo like was there ever a uh, ever a way that you kind of centered yourself or kind of brought your energy back from focusing on the discriminatory aspect of it back to the focus yeah was it just about you know were you like is there a a ritual or a mantra or something that you have that just always kind of keeps you moving forward No I think I've been very fortunate whenever anything negative has ever happened first I had my mother and she would hear all these stories about people and things that maybe half the time she didn't understand because I just ranted and raved every time I went home she had this ability to unruffle my feathers and say hey it's going to be all right maybe they didn't mean it or things like that so I think mothers tend to do that and my mother was a very kind very you know amazing human being So first I was lucky to have that and then after that I have been lucky to have friends over a period of 30 40 years who have remained there for me whenever I've needed them sometimes we haven't met for like 5 years at a stretch and but we still remained in touch somehow you know I used to write letters 20 page letters to friends from <laughs> Hong Kong telling them about everything that happened and this is you know this is the writer in me whenever I was happy about something or or unhappy about something i would put it down in writing and send it off one of my oldest friends tells me that she has collected these letters and is going to publish them one day and i have threatened her that that oh, can yeah. never happen because <laughs> because god knows what i put in those letters so 
Yeah, I mean, we'd love I've to been... we'd love to host you for another session once they come out. Like you know, investigated <laughs> that you you came in this letter. <laughs> no, 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 no. That those letters are never going to be published. But then that, and then colleagues, and now my community of nestlings. You know, I don't know what I would do without them. They have been with me through a lot of rough times uh, that I have faced, and you know, it's it's just amazing how sometimes younger people can be your mentors. When you're going through uh, things that you feel are very difficult to to tackle, I've been a mentor to many young people, and yet I have found that when I'm going through something, I'm worried about something. These kids are around to say, "Okay," they will sit down and they'll say, "What's wrong?" And I'll say, "Well, nothing." And they say, "No, come on, don't you know? Don't say that. We can see there's clearly <laughs> something wrong." So they will sit down and they will insist that I talk about it. and sometimes then they don't come up with solutions but just like i don't come up with solutions for them sure. but just talking to them makes me feel a lot better sometimes they distract me with food with jokes you know so i think i'm very fortunate that i have a community that cares so much mm-hmm. you know if you can have a family that cares i have siblings who care very much for me now that my parents are not there i have friends who care very deeply for me and then i have a community of young people who inspire me every day and who are so caring it's just you know how much more can one ask for so i think that's that's what it is all of us go through something you know i'll tell you one story i think i i mentioned it when we were talking earlier um you know i i'm also a cancer survivor and um this was i think 6 years ago 7 years ago when i had cancer and my father was still alive at that time he was very ill he was bedridden he never found out that i had cancer but my oldest friends they took charge my brother came here from hong kong to look after my dad my doctor said you have to have surgery right away if we are going to control this and i said to her No, I can't. I can't have surgery. And she said, "Why not?" I said, "Next week is the Pasha ICT Awards, and I'm handling everything. How can I go into hospital and forget about that?" And she said, "You know, it's your life we're talking about, right?" <laughs> I said, "Yeah, I know, but you know, we can delay it for a weeks, surely." And my friends really lost it and said, "Are you absolutely out of your mind?" and but i wouldn't i wouldn't and then my doctor said listen i know i want you to be in the best state possible for the surgery because you're not that young you have issues you have high blood pressure and now this so i want you to go into surgery feeling relaxed and i know you will not feel relaxed unless you're through with this pasha ict awards that you're talking about so i flew i don't know whether it was in lahore or islamabad i think it was in lahore i flew to lahore took care of the ict awards nobody knew during that time that i was headed for surgery in a few days flew back to karachi got hospitalized had my surgery and that's for me is what life was about you know you make a commitment you've got to keep it and to me it was important to see through something that i had started surgery happened allah ka shukar hai everything went well my friends stayed with me day and night took care of me i had to take 6 weeks off 
stayed at home, worked on, my brother brought me an iPad. The day after surgery, he gave it to me as a gift and said, I want to see a smile on your face. And I know what brings a smile to your face is technology. <laughs> so he gave me an iPad and I was connected with everyone. So, you know, those are things you don't forget. And that is what makes life so rich. Yeah, yeah, that's incredible. Or Pate, uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, um, this whole this whole thing about community is becoming yeah. such a buzzword, you know, okay, like it's thrown around mm -hmm. so much that, you know, community of this and community of that. And, and I really feel like um, that's really what it is. Like, I feel like the most element of kind of building a community is, is more the, you know, very crudely speaking, the, the support network, like Entrepreneurs Anonymous type of a group, you know, like where, where you can just kind of crash at the end of the day or at the end of the week and be like, hey, oh man, you know, like I am just this close to, to giving up. And just to kind of have that kind of energy and those people around you who can buck you up and, and having seen like, you know, small uh, sparks of that around here as well. It is such a kick that you get out of people that are transforming um, mentally and professionally and like becoming entrepreneurs just because they're surrounded by that energy. Like even if no one's kind of, you know, talking to them or egging them on or anything, just looking at this guy and this guy gets a yeah, yeah, cool, crazy, these guys. Then they look at themselves and they're like, you know, yeah, I have the skill set, and you know, obviously, I'm at least as special of this other person, if not, you know, specialer. No, and they're and, and Saad, they're very supportive of each other. I've seen them through yeah. thick and thin. Many of them have lost parents, many of them have gone through some health issues, some of them have had their companies closed down because they just couldn't yeah. validate their uh, product or service. And yeah. they have been there for each other. They have slept at each other's homes, held their hands, offered a shoulder to cry on, you name it. And if we yeah, can yeah. do that for a small community of people, we can do that and replicate it everywhere. And I've seen yeah. young people in this country are just amazing. Everywhere across the country, you see people who are supporting each other, who are, you know, they might be competitors and that yet they are helping each other through you know problems that they're facing and you know we need to do much more of that in a country this size because yeah. the government can't do everything the government is not yeah. there to to care for you or to be part of your community it's your community who looks out for you watches out for you makes sure that they are there when you need them and yeah. have that support and i see these young people offering it to each other it's just yeah. it's yeah. great to be there that energy is just amazing yeah, that's true. Okay, like you just put something in motion and then it just takes a life of its own and then you're like, okay, you know, <laughs> exit, exit stage left. And I think like technology and software uh, and the startup whole scene, uh, it's, it's so interesting that now uh, that whole sector or that whole, you know, kind of uh, vertical is being uh, promoted and being talked about on a policy level, on national platforms, provincial platforms. And that's so amazing. But effectively, we've gotten this far and gotten to this level of maturity simply by this this energy that you're talking about, this whole power of community, the the types of platforms that you've built and that uh, other people have uh, other people have also contributed to. And that's that's really incredible. I I um, I want to talk about so much more. Um, but uh, I, I, get, I think we'll have to do a part two of this. But one thing that I really, really want to know, and I think like this is the drum roll moment, 
uh, what are you up to now? Like, what is Catalyst Labs? What, uh, how are you going to uh, shake up the world? Uh, what are your plans? What's happening? So I don't think I'm going to shake up the world, but I know that the people that I, I'm going to work with, I'm so lucky to have a team that is as committed to the mission as I am. Uh, you know, we ran uh, the Nest IO for six and a half years, and there's no way we could have been successful uh, running it or running zero to one disrupt unless I'd had a team of people who were there and who were capable of doing the things that needed to be done. You know, it's always the leader who's recognized and never the team. But the team is what makes the leader look good. And in my case, that is absolutely true. The, the team that I have from day one, we had a change of teams three times um, across the six and a half years. Although the people who've stayed with us for about four years, Akash, Sabika, they've been there, Sobia, from the beginning almost, I think a year down the road from when we started. They've you know, they're as much responsible for what we created as I am, uh, maybe even more. And now as I transition from the nest to Catalyst Labs, um, I am lucky that Akash, Sobia and Sabika are with me. So I did offer to Pasha that if they wanted to retain them, that, you know, I was willing to, uh, you know, put together a totally new team, but uh, they, were not interested and I don't know if the team would have stayed, but nonetheless, uh, when I told them what I was up to, the team was really excited. We want now, you know, after six and a half years of doing incubation, we know that lots of incubators have opened up. Lots of startups have graduated for many, from many of those incubators. There are lots of startups that have come out without being incubated anywhere. Most of them now need help to grow to the next level. And that's where the accelerator comes in. So making sure that we deep dive into each of the startups that we accelerate, find out what each of them needs. So it's more a customized program rather than an incubation program for a you know 17 or 18 startups. This is going to be individually driven exercise with each startup to see what they need and then help them to get to that level, connect them with mentors who can grow with who can help them grow and then connect them possibly with investors and help them scale to the next level because we've got so many startups now across the country doing so many things they now need help to grow and this is not just startups from the nest but startups everywhere and that's what cactus labs is aiming to do is to work specifically with a focus on fintech food and agri-tech uh, mobile commerce, health tech, and edutech, and try and identify people whom we can help get to that level. That's one part of the program. And the second part of the program is I've always felt, and you know this, gender diversity has been a problem in the tech industry and all industries in Pakistan. Yeah. It's getting better. We see some companies who are doing amazingly well in terms of diversity, but we still feel that you know, the leadership in most companies are men. And this is not just the tech sector. It's not restricted to tech. It's across the board. You see very few women leaders at the top of any of these companies. So the, the other program is a women's leadership fellowship program, which is a five-month program. We will work, identify and work with both women entrepreneurs and women professionals to identify what the missing gap is and help them grow to the level where 
they can then rise in their professions um, as leaders. And I think that's something that I'm personally very passionate about. And I'm looking forward to working with a lot of talented young women who can then make it to the you know to the top of these professions. So that's the other part of what Catalyst Labs is going to be doing. So both things that we as a team strongly believe in. And I think we've started off well. The branding has been uh, something that people have been amazed by. In three weeks, we've already created quite a lot of um, you know, quite a lot of excitement Buzz. around what we're yeah. doing. And uh, we've been fortunate that HBL has, has come in as a partner. We are talking to other potential partners. And hopefully everything is sort of taking shape. And yeah. you, will, you will continue to see us out there sort of working, collaborating, and, um, you know, meeting people across, across the country. So we're not planning to open up any other spaces in other cities. But we believe there are other partners in most of the cities whom we can work with to make sure that our program is available across the country to young people. And then, of course, with Corona, a lot of this is going to start by happening online. And then at the same time, we're looking for physical space where we can develop a, a space which has the same kind of energy that is needed to accelerate companies and to run these programs. And this is so amazing. It's, but thank you so much, uh, Janara, for taking out the time. I know, okay, you know, this is an especially busy time uh, for you guys as well. You're all, you know, probably all hands on deck uh, at this point in time. Jehan believes that if you're a person of integrity, you can't really sell something that you don't truly believe in yourself. According to her, it's always the leader who's recognized and never the team. But the team is what makes the leader look good. These podcasts are brought to you by Daftakhan. To find out more, go to daftakhan.com or follow them on social media to keep a track of what they're up to. Um.